Amen. Amen. Well, you ought to be ready for a humdinger today. Well, it's so nice to be here and nice to be with you all again. This is one of the only times when I preach that I get Monda to move down to the front. Uh, so, And um, it's nice to have uh, the mayor of uh, DeSoto with us today. Uh, nice to have you, Madam Mayor. And uh, she's leaving here to go to her own church uh, and worship again. So... Uh, she came to hear Pastor Larry today, uh, but uh, she'll have to do that another time. Well, um, thank you um, for your presence here today. Thank you for that special prayer. I don't know um, that I've ever had that uh, happen in quite that way, so thank you. Thank you very much. I want you to open your Bibles to this passage of Scripture that has been read for us. We're going to look at it, especially from verse 6 on. And um, I, I want you to imagine with me this morning that everybody in this room today is a, a follower of Christ, is a devout follower of Christ. And let me just hasten to say that if you aren't a follower of Christ, don't you think it's time that you become one? Don't you think so? That's kind of a half-hearted response, but we'll, we'll go with that. That's why we're all here, isn't it? That's better. Let's assume we all are, though, okay? Let me, let me ask a most important question. <clears throat> Assuming we all are followers of Christ, devout followers of Christ, what's the worst sin that any of us can commit as a devout, devout follower of Christ? Now, of course, I'm assuming that we're not going to go out and murder somebody, or we're not going to go out and commit adultery, or not, we're not going to go rob a bank. Uh, what then is the worst sin that any of us can do as a follower of Christ. Now, think about that for a minute. And I want you to look at your Bibles, look at that gospel lesson again, and I want you to hear the lesson again, starting at verse 6. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? As if you could use up the soil. I, I, that's another uh, topic that we might look at sometime. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it, fertilize it, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, let me ask that question again. Same question in light of this text. As a follower of Jesus, a devout follower of Jesus, what's the worst sin that you can commit? 
The answer, I believe, is to do nothing. Doing nothing, or in this case, not bearing fruit, is the quickest way to disqualify you from being a part of the kingdom of God. Oh, that's pretty harsh, Pastor. I didn't come to church to feel that bad already, and you're just three minutes into your sermon. You remember the story of the two men who were talking about their friendship? These two guys were close friends, and one of them said, we've been friends for 25 years, and there's nothing we wouldn't do for each other. And the other man said, and that's what we've been doing for each other for 25 years, absolutely nothing. As a follower of Jesus, that's the worst thing you could do in light of the parable of the fig tree, nothing. You remember Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25? Remember that story? We've had all kinds of Sunday school contests about the sheep and the goats down through the years. What was the decisive factor between the sheep going into the kingdom of God and the goats, well, being thrown into the lake of fire? What did the goats do that was so terrible? Remember? They did nothing. Absolutely nothing. In Matthew 25, the king says to the goats, I was hungry and you gave me what? Nothing. You gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me what? Nothing. Nothing to drink. Sick and in prison and you did what? You didn't visit me. In other words, you had a chance to minister to me when I was at my worst, and you did what? Nothing. Then he speaks those devastating words in Matthew chapter 25, verse 45, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. What was the sin of those he called goats who went into the lake of fire? doing nothing. Then in Luke chapter 16, there's another of Jesus' memorable parables. It, it, it was about a rich man who was dressed in fine linen, and he lived in luxury, and at his gate lay this beggar his name was Lazarus. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? And he was covered with, Lazarus was covered with sores, and he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the sores of Lazarus. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him up to Abraham's side in heaven. The rich man also died, but he didn't go to heaven. <clears throat> Instead, he found himself 
in Hades, where he was in torment, the Scripture says. The Scripture says he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Now, why did the rich man end up in such a state? There's no evidence that he ever did anything wrong except for one. He did nothing. There was a poor man lying literally at his gate, and he did nothing to help. So often in Jesus' teaching, this is, this is the sin that condemns people, not something desperately foul, but something noble and good that they neglected to do, like doing something for Lazarus. Then again, back in Matthew chapter 25, just before the parable of the sheep and the goats in verses 14 through 30, we find another well-known parable of a man uh, going on a journey. He calls his servants and entrusts to them his, his wealth. Uh, to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one. You remember the story? Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold uh, went at once and put his money to work and gained another five bags. So the man who had been given um, two bags, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and put the master's money there, hid it. <clears throat> After a time, the man returned and settled accounts with the servants. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. The master, he said, you, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Well done, good and faithful servant, the master says. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The same scenario plays out with the servant who was given two bags and earned two bags more. The master was intensely happy, intensely pleased. But then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew, I knew you were a hard man uh, harvesting where you haven't sown and, and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the grounds. See, here, here, is, here is what belongs to you. What was his master's reaction? Not so good. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the, <clears throat> with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So, take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has ten bags, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness 
where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's easy to feel sorry for this guy, don't you think? After all, he was, he was probably a pretty nice guy. But being a nice guy or a nice lady isn't nearly as important as making your life count for something. And how do you make your life count for something? By using what you have for God's glory and making your world a better place. Amen, Pastor. Now, I could keep going on with this theme right through the lunch hour and beyond, for that matter, because there's just so much material in the Scripture. And I, I can see that some of you are a bit worried that that's what I'm going to do. You know, I was only given notice about speaking Friday afternoon, and the old adage is true that if you want a short sermon, you need a long time to prepare. But if you want a long sermon, give a guy just a few couple of days to prepare, and it's, it's going to be a long sermon. Well, <clears throat> for example, remember the story in Matthew 19 of the rich young ruler who turned back rather than giving up his wealth and following Jesus? By his own admission, he'd kept all the commandments from the time he was a youth to, to that time right now, but when the opportunity came for him to make his life count, <clears throat> he turned his back. He was a good man, but he was really good for nothing. Or remember the priest and the Levite on the road to Jericho in Luke 10, who passed by on the other side and left that poor guy who had been beaten and robbed, lying there bleeding on the side of the road, and it took the good Samaritan to come by and help him. What was, what was their sin? They had an opportunity to help someone in need, and they did what? Say it. Nothing. You see, I believe it's the most consistent theme in Jesus' teaching. You know, yes, there are sins of the flesh. There are sins that fill our lives with guilt and shame, but the sin which most of us is guilty of, the sin that threatens to keep us out of the kingdom of God is a sin of omission. It's a sin of doing nothing when we have the opportunity for doing something productive, something that will help someone in need, something that will glorify God. Now, I've, I've titled this message, The Greatest Sin. Someone's going to say to me after the, after the service this morning, because I know you're thinking it right now, I thought that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was the greatest sin. And I would ask you, what greater blasphemy against the Holy Spirit could there be 
than to say you're a devout follower of Jesus and to never bear witness to the fact by living a Christ-like life. Hello? But you ask, Pastor, didn't, didn't St. Paul warn us against depending on works of righteousness for our salvation? Well, you're absolutely right. But you, you need to understand that Paul's teaching to a great extent grew out of his futile struggle as a Pharisee to keep all the rules of his faith. He discovered that trying to keep all those rules only made him miserable. They didn't save him. When he talked about the law, which weighed him down, he wasn't talking about the law of Christ, which we call the great, great commandment. He never meant that we were to ignore the teachings of Christ concerning bearing the fruit of love. He knew that this is what the great commandment is all about. You can't love God. Listen to me, folks. You can't love God and your neighbor as you love yourself and sit idly by when a fellow human being needs help. Did you get that? Regardless of who they may be or the color of their skin, regardless of whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, whether, whether they're from Maine or Minnesota or California, regardless of their religion or where they live or whether they agree with you or not. So in the gospel lesson this morning, Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming back to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. You notice in your Scripture there's an exclamation part, uh, mark after cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? That still gets me. Why should it use up the soil? And he was talking about us. if we're not bearing fruit. It's almost as if he's saying to us, why should we use up the air? God help us. I read something last night and I was, I, I said something to Manda. <coughs> Do we realize how powerful God is? You know, God, the God of creation is the God we pray to. 
He created everything. We invite him into our service this morning. Do you realize how powerful he is? We invite him to be in our home. And we invite that kind of power to live in our home. Well, that's pretty awesome power, folks. And you remember that power in this parable was talking about us if we're not bearing fruit. Makes me want to go hide someplace, and then I realize that he can see where I'm hiding. What kind of fruit? Pastor, well, St. Paul himself in Galatians 5 talked about the fruit of the Spirit. You remember that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <clears throat> that, that's a good place to start. But caring for the down and out kind of tops the list, at least according to Jesus' teachings. Caring for those who are sick, caring for those who are troubled, caring for those who are lonely, caring for those who are in trouble. Bearing fruit is something that all of us can do, whether we're in school or whether we're a senior adult. We can all bear fruit. We don't have to have a university degree to bear fruit. We don't have to be <clears throat> gifted in terms of leadership or technical abilities or gifted as speakers. All we need all we need is Christ's heart giving us a little sensitivity to the needs of others and the willingness to serve. <clears throat> when Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was doing research for her now famous book on death and dying, <clears throat> She came across the story of an African-American woman, a member of a certain hospital's maintenance crew. The woman spent her day cleaning floors and emptying waste baskets, tidying up. The hospital staff began to notice that each time she finished cleaning the room of a dying patient, that person was invariably more content, happier, and at peace when she left every single time. Dr. Kubler-Ross in interviewed her as well, and um, the woman said she'd been 
She had known a lot of fear and tragedy in her life as well as good times when others had helped her know about God's love. She, she said she'd been up and she'd been down the mountain. The worst time, she said, was when, <laughs> was when her three-year-old son was ill with pneumonia and she went to a public health clinic. Now, get this. She took a number and her three-year-old son died in her arms while she waited her turn. Now, all of that could have embittered her, but it gave her a heart for helping others who were in distress, like she had been at that time in her life. So, she said to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you see, doctor, the dying patients are just like old acquaintances to me, and I'm, I'm not afraid to go in and touch them, to talk to them, and to be with them, and to offer them hope. Dr. Kubler-Ross said they consequently promoted that woman off of the uh, maintenance staff. She no longer worked on that crew. So they gave her a title, Special Counselor to the Dying. I love that story. She became the special counselor to the dying. That woman with few resources, few resources, very little of this life at her disposal made her life count. Of course, if you've been blessed with great resources or great leadership ability or extraordinary talent, you have greater opportunities for doing good than she did. Some of you may be fans of Bono, uh, the singer, you, the band U2, like my daughter is, Ani. Since 1985, Bono and his wife, Ali, have been working for underprivileged people around the world, especially in Africa. <clears throat> A man walked up to Bono in Africa, thrust, thrust his baby, this was in Ethiopia, and thrust his baby into Bono's arms saying, you take my son, he'll live if you take him. That had a profound impact on Bono. He said, how, <clears throat> how deep could a country's suffering be that a father would give up his son to a stranger if it might save his son's life. And at that point, Bono and Allie realized that they could not go back to the complacency in which they had once lived. So Bono understood that he had to be confronted with such misery required that he also do something. And so, I don't, I don't know how many people worldwide Bono has touched, thousands, 
millions perhaps. You and I don't have that kind of opportunity, those kinds of funds. But even if we help only one person according to Christ, it will not go unrewarded because we have done it to him. But I want you to notice something quite interesting in the story of the fig tree. If you look back at your scripture again, I realize that a sermon like this can produce some guilt. And that's not my plan here this morning. Especially if you take it seriously, you're going to feel some guilt. I, I myself experienced that guilt. But I want you to notice there is a note of grace in this story. The owner of the barren fig tree says to the man in verse 7, who takes care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? The caretaker replies, sir, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. That's interesting, don't you think? The caretaker asks the master for one more year before he cuts it down. That act introduces a note of grace into the story. In the insurance industry, anybody here work or have worked in the insurance industry? Yeah, several of you. In the insurance industry, there is what is known as a grace period. How many of you have ever been impacted by a grace period? Yeah. So all of you have always paid your premium on time. A grace period is defined as the additional period of time a lender or an insurance company will provide uh, a borrower to make a past due payment on a debt without penalty. I'm told that insurance agents are constantly having to deal with people seeking to maintain their policies in what they referred to as the policies grace period. And it seems to me now, hang with me here a minute. It seems to me that there are a number of Christians who are living in, in their spiritual grace period. Are you with me? And that probably is true for most of us. We can look over our lives and see plenty of opportunities we've had to do the right thing, to do the loving thing for others, to do things that would have brought God glory. And fortunately, Christ is not interested. He's not interested in cutting us down like a fig tree. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for a, fig, uh, for a grace period? What I believe he wants is for us to examine our hearts and ask ourselves during our 
grace period if we're living our best life for Him? Or are we just taking up room on this planet, taking up air? Christ used His grace period to redeem us from sin and death. Are we using our grace period to reach out to others? My son-in-law and daughter, when she was teaching high school in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, they got some other youth pastors together and began to think what could they do to impact their community. And so <clears throat> they decided to go to their high school at night. They got permission, and they <clears throat> wanted to pray over the rooms in the high school. So it was a large high school, and they began to walk the halls and pray for the rooms. Well, when they got there, they, they found out that there was a custodian there, a female, who had already been doing that. She worked at night, and as she cleaned, she would go into a room and she'd pray over every desk. She'd wipe it down, disinfect it, and pray over every desk and pray for the student who, who sat there. And so these youth pastors banded together with her, and they prayed for that entire high school and those students once a week. They didn't have any special training. They just wanted to do something, and so they decided to pray. Anybody could do that. Monda and I were coming home late one night from some meeting uh, in Florida. We were driving on uh, Florida freeway. It was dark, pitch black down near the Everglades. And um, we saw a wreck happen on the other side of the freeway. I mean, it was a bad wreck. We stopped, pulled over. I was the chaplain of the fire department in our town, which was about 50 miles further north. And uh, there were alligators everywhere in Florida. It was dark. I, I didn't know what was in the median in between. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. So we pointed the lights and turned the blinkers on. And there were people lying on the freeway car still streaming 70, 80 miles an hour. We got out, began to try and flag cars down, screeching tires, people running over bodies. We got out, called 911, told them what was happening, got them there, no special training, just used our cell phone to call 911. Prayed with some of those people lying, knew they weren't going to make it. Prayed with them. What am I talking about? I'm talking about us in our grace period, using 
the time we have to be what we can be for God instead of just taking up space on the planet. Can you do that? Can you be all you can be with God's help? Sure you can. Just shake your little heads up and down. I know you can. If you want to, if you don't want to, you know, the, you know what's going to happen. Just read the end of, this, uh, end of this scripture that we read. It's not pretty, but I don't believe anybody wants that. So the alternative is to use the grace period that God has given us, the spiritual grace period. Stand together with me, will you? God, our Father, we, we thank You for the extra time You've given us, the spiritual grace period, to be what You've called us to be, and that's the people of God. You're all-powerful. We invite You into our homes. We're going to go out to eat here in a few minutes, and We'll bow our heads at lunch, and we'll ask Your presence over the food we eat, <clears throat> not even giving a thought to the fact that You're, you're all-powerful. <laughs> you're the Creator of the food we eat. Oh, God, as we pray, may we even remember our waitstaff that comes and serves us our meal. May we, may we figure out some way with the help of Your Spirit to impact the lives around us. Each day, may we awake with the prayer to use the spiritual grace period to be what You need us to be. God, use us this week. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the power of Your Holy Spirit be with us as we go. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.